I was the pariah. I mean, there's there's a difference between completely rebelling against the church and everybody knows it, and you're trying to live the gospel, but you can't, and everybody knows it. And I was the second thing. I was trying to live it. There was no immediate ulcer or blunt force trauma to my head visible. And so there was just a lot of confusion. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of, you know, coming into my bedroom at night. When are you going back out? Oh my gosh, like, how, how can we get you back out? You never say that to someone who came home early. Never. You, you never say, when are you going back out? You never say, let's get you better faster so that you can go do what you need to do. You never say, okay, we're taking you to a doctor tomorrow. We're going to figure this out. We're going to get you back out. You never say any of those things because what it tells that person is that you have an expectation for them that wasn't fulfilled and, it's, and you're not going to be proud of them unless they do that thing. Thank you for finding the Cultural Hall and uh, for giving us a listen. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Really looking forward to the conversation with Drew B. Young and really working at trying to uh, de-stigmatize, remove the stigma from those who would come home from a mission and have people be like, hey, why are you here and what's going on and, and shouldn't you still be out and all those things. I hope to normalize uh, the conversation around missions, around service, around the purpose of your mission and that's why we got Drew B. Young. Now, you guys, I want you to envision a day and a time when I can spend a whole lot of time focusing on each of these Cultural Hall episodes, and I want you to help make that possible. It's, it's Patreon. You'll hear me mention it again within this episode. But coming soon, a goal for Patreon uh, by the end of the year, which will have some ramifications if we don't meet it. Am I being vague enough? I hope so. Let's get to this episode of the Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. Listen to this. I was lying on the floor in my bedroom, experiencing a crippling panic attack, one of many that day. I had just returned home early from serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I felt like a failure. The ensuing months involved bouts of debilitating depression, numerous medication prescriptions, countless therapy visits, and feelings of wanting to end it all at times. It was in these moments that I learned a valuable lesson. We all have a mission, both in and out of the church, and there is meaning in our missions. Regardless of what we may be going through, struggling with addiction, not feeling good enough, experiencing same-sex attraction, feeling lonely and forgotten, going through mental illness, etc., there is a purpose behind the pain, and there is hope in our struggle. It's up to us. Are we going to go through our pain or grow through it? That is the back cover of the book written by our guest, Drew B. Young. Drew, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Richie. It's great to be with you today. You have written a book, sir, about uh, your mission experience, uh, both your life mission and your on-point, uh, on-the-nose mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But before we get into who you are, before we get into your book, I just have to say that before we turn on the microphone, uh, that Drew said that he listened to the Cultural Hall before, and he was still willing to come in and be interviewed. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Richie. We can start with the book, but I think for me, I, I think I'm most interested in your life leading up to serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and then what that was like, and and then subsequently how you how you came out of that experience. So I'll let you lead the narrative of wherever you want to go with that. Okay. Great. Well, yeah, thank you again for the, uh, the platform here. So I grew up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I grew up in a family of eight kids, and my great-grandfather is President Ezra Taft Benson. So you can kind of get the gist of uh, obedience, and <laughs> you know you follow through on your commitments, and mm -hmm. you, you basically do what the Lord asks you to do and what your parents ask you to do. Yeah. And, and so I grew up with a, a very strong mentality towards obedience and commitments and making sure that you're, you know, doing the best that you can to build the kingdom of God. And so when I, you know, just like a lot of people who are growing up in the Latter-day Saint culture, I wanted to serve a mission, a full-time mission. And I thought that that would be the right thing for me to do. And 
three of my older brothers had done it and my dad had done it and they'd all been assistants to the president. And it was just kind of like, all right, here's the expectation. You go out and you baptize and you kill it and you come home with honor and, and it's, you know, then life moves on and you do what you need to do to get married and have a family and get a job. And so leading up to my full-time mission experience, I was really excited. I uh, completed my high school years, and I decided that I wanted to go to a semester of college out of state um, to kind of build my resilience towards calling my parents every day. And I thought that it would be really good for me to kind of get my head on straight before I, you know, embarked on this two-year journey, or so I thought. Mm -hmm. And so I received my mission call to serve in the Baltic mission in the Estonian region. And Which let's let's don't. pause real quick for people who don't like you say Baltic and Estonia and I still think they go eh, uh, maybe maybe I know yeah. or they hear Baltic well, no. and they go Baltic Avenue Monopoly got it <laughs> well exactly I mean I, when I opened up the call I thought I was going to the Mediterranean just because it sounded so tropical uh-huh. um, and that shows you how well I paid t- attention in my geography class <laughs> it's actually it's in the, the eastern part of Europe it's right to the west of Russia to the north of Ukraine, to the east of like Sweden and those other countries. And so it is in the heart of Europe. And the Estonian language is closest to Finnish, which kind of shows you, you know, kind of the uh, the process of, of which one has to learn in order to become uh, capable of speaking it and listening to it. So you get that call and then by family expectation, it's a, well, you know, clearly he's this is how it goes, and you know, serving valiantly and bringing honor to the name and all and all those things. How did that go? Well, it went really well until I uh, I entered the MTC. So I obviously, you know, when you receive a full time mission call, you have a few months to prepare. And I had struggled with separation anxiety in my life before. And for anyone that's kind of struggled with that, you know, you don't want to leave home, you're, you know, you're uncomfortable leaving perhaps a certain person in your life that you're close to. And I had had that in my early childhood, but it had, you know, dissipated throughout the years and I felt, you know, 100% ready to go. Mm -hmm. But I mean, of course, you know, before you embark on something that is uh, not only a big time commitment, but a big, you know, spiritual, physical, emotional commitment, you know, you're going to have butterflies. And so as I prepared to go, I started to get nervous. Um, I started to think to myself, okay, like time to bear up, you know, grit your loins, you know, let's do this thing. This is what everybody does. You know, thousands of people have done it. I'm going to do it. Basically mind over matter. And uh, when I entered the MTC, it all kind of came crashing down uh, where I started to experience feelings that I had never had in my life, such as, you know, frequent panic attacks. I had no idea what a panic attack was until I went into the MTC. How did it exhibit itself with you? For me, it was a lot of trembling. Um, My heart would race. I would lose my appetite. I would get really kind of shaky and confused. uh, And it would just kind of leave me in a state of kind of like, what the heck is going on? Like, I had no idea what was going on. I just thought, you know, this is very strange. And so with those panic attacks and with my anxiety that was stirring up, I thought to myself, okay, this isn't good, you know, but I'm going to do this because I need to do this. You know, this is what people do. This is what young men in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are commissioned to do their whole lives. You serve a mission when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so that cultural pressure, as well as my own desire that I, you know, had had since I was a young boy, kind of propelled me to, you know, forget about it, you know, put your nose to the grindstone, you know, focus even more intently on the language, focus even more intensely on um, the lessons and get to know your companions, all that stuff. And so as my time in the MTC progressed, I started to notice that, you know, this isn't homesickness. This is actually something that is affecting me in every part of my body. And I went to go see a therapist that they have at the MTC and she was phenomenal, loved her, would see her every week. It was the best part of my week, um, not only because you get away from your companions for an hour, <laughs> but she just, like, opened up my soul to – it was actually someone who got it, like somebody who understood me. I would write home about it, and my parents didn't understand it, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't blame them because they never went through it. So, you know, how could they understand it? Right. My companions didn't understand it. My teachers didn't understand it. They just kind of thought, you know, what is up with Elder Young? He seems kind of emotional. Like, mm-hmm. he's overly sensitive. When really it was like, no, I just, I, I cannot, I can't do this right now. And so I started to see a therapist. She would kind of walk me through different things, different techniques, different ways to handle any type of stress that would come throughout my week. And uh, about week four of my MTC stay, I was there for nine weeks. About week four, I kind of went into her office and I just thought, you know, this isn't working. Um, I've tried, you know, the breathing. I've tried the mindfulness. I've tried to go into that imaginary place that, you know, is my happy place. It just doesn't work. None of this works. And she said, she kind of paused and she looked at me. She said, you know, Elder Young, I think I finally realized what's happening. Uh, She said, this isn't homesickness. She said, I think that you're on the Titanic and you're going down fast. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, to this day, it it just kind of was um, the most refreshing sentence I'd heard, but it was also terrifying at the same time. Refreshing in the sense because someone got it finally, but terrifying because what the heck is going to happen next? Yeah, the repercussions from something like that, uh, and I say repercussions and that sounds super negative or like punitive in what would happen, but knowing that the ship is going down, meaning that you have to get to a life raft, what does that life raft look like for you? And does that mean coming home? And what does coming home mean? And what does that mean for family and for yourself or for people that you date because we surround and and put so much weight on the mission experience within the church, even even yep. to the point of being uh, of being able to be comfortable within the walls of church, it becomes right. uh, being put in question at that point. Oh, hundred percent. All of those all of those questions that you just posed can went through my mind. And the scripture of you know the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, never mm-hmm. made so much sense to me uh, because I wanted to be there, I wanted to serve. But it was not a matter of, do I want to? It was a matter of, can I actually do it? Does this you know, illness, which I didn't know that I had at the time, but I did, does this illness preclude me from giving my best? And so kind of, she told me, you know, you're on the Titanic, you're going down fast. And this was the moment when I started to go see the doctors at the MTC to get prescribed medication for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never been anti-medication, but I'd never been, you know, necessarily for medication. Same with therapy. Sure. I just, I just kind of thought, you know, if you're healthy, you don't go to therapy. Like, why do you do something that you don't need to do? Yeah. How naive I was. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she, they started putting me on all these different medications that were making me not who I was. Um, I would go, you know, a couple days of flying high to just come crashing down into this massive depressive state that would leave me exhausted. And it started having me gain, you know, an unhealthy amount of weight. I wasn't sleeping. And just the the feeling of perfectionism kept growing inside of me. I kind of thought, you know what, if my mind isn't letting me do it, I'm going to force my body to do it because I need to be here. And about week six, things weren't getting better, as you can imagine. Sure. And so the, the mental health committee, kind of not the mental health committee, but the, the medicinal community, committee at the, at the MTC kind of sat down with some of the district presidents, sat down with my therapist, and kind of reviewed my progress. And they basically talking about, is Elder Young fit to serve? Mm-hmm. And the answer came back, yes, he is fit to serve still. He will not go home. He will not, you know, get reassigned. He is fit to serve. And so I got that notice back. And it was at this time that I started getting phone calls uh, from my parents because, you know, they were obviously being made uh, aware of, you know, what was going on with my therapy and with my medication and stuff. And to say the least, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just trying to, you know, tell my story. Mm-hmm. They they weren't supportive of the fact at all of me possibly coming home. It wasn't even a question. Well, because you don't come home. You go out. Yeah. You go out, you don't come home. Yeah. Yeah, you don't come home. Exactly. I mean, it's just like if you're if you're going to join the Marines, you don't you don't quit boot camp. Yeah, no, you Um, you do boot camp and then you do your tour and then you come home and that's how that goes. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. You come home when it's when it's time to put the the yellow flyers up around the neighborhood. You come home when it's time to wave the flag in front of your house. You come home when the big, you know, welcome home elder or sister sign is ready from the from the printer and you can bring it to the airport. Mm. And it was it was out of the question. It was, you know, we're going to fast for you as a family. Mm-hmm. We're going to pray for you and you're going to beat this. And so not only did that add even more pressure on me because, you know, who doesn't want to be on the end of a fast that doesn't work, right? Sure. Or prayers that aren't answered, you know, answered, quotation mm-hmm. marks. But it was just a very difficult time for me because, like I said earlier, I wanted to be there, but I just couldn't. And I'll, I'll even go as far to say I wanted to be there, but I didn't. <laughs> I hmm. wanted to I wanted to fulfill the expectation. I wanted to serve. I wanted to go to Estonia, like, more than anything. But on the other side, more than anything, I wanted to come home and get better because who wants to, you know, go somewhere feeling 40% of 100%? Who wants to do something when they're being totally misunderstood and misrepresented, but they feel like they need to do it regardless? And so kind of wrapping this this MTC experience up, it was about week eight, and the therapist and I had a really vulnerable conversation where she basically said, I think you need to go home. Hmm. I think that this isn't something that you can overcome at this time. I think you need to go home. I think you need to see a psychiatrist. I think you need to see a counselor. I think you need to get better because this traumatic experience of, you know, 12 hour days in a small classroom, you know, learning a language you've never heard of, people that have misunderstood you and have kind of called you weak in a sense, Mm -hmm. this experience isn't going to help you perform to the best of your abilities in the field. And to be clear, like the the MTC, like even if you are in the in the top of physical and mental health, it is almost impossible to make your way out of. Like that's not that, that, that's not hyperbole. It is a grueling, long, you know, for for people that are learning a language, nine, ten, twelve weeks. If you're staying uh, stateside, it's two or three weeks. And to go from what I'll put in quotation marks as regular life to going to MTC life, it is a shock in all ways to every part of any system. So, so I don't, I don't think that's an overstatement on on your behalf that this traumatic experience of of expectation of family, of expectation of self, to having struggles with it, and then and then just not being able to to figure a way that you could do it and and be happy, that living at 40% is not a way to lead life. Exactly. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't say it any better. I think, you know, obviously there's going to be people listening to this podcast that got through the whole thing, no problems, and served a full-time mission, no problems. You know, awesome for them. That was their mission. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't hold any animosity towards anyone who is able to, you know, make it through the MTC without any, you know, Problem. I don't, I don't hold any animosity towards people who are able to serve their to their uh, greatest capacity and do amazing things because that is what the Lord intended for them and that is what His plan was for them. And so, why would you hold a grudge against somebody who is just performing the mission that they had, both earthly and within the church? It's interesting though because we set ourselves up for things like this. Uh, you mentioned like family saying, "Oh, you know, we're gonna fa- we're gonna fast for you and we're gonna pray for you," and maybe we'll get into what uh, your family's relationship is like now or what it was like when you came home. But also within church culture, we talk about things like the Lord qualifies whom he calls. Mm -hmm. And so... So with a with a statement like that or with a culture of that, it would clearly lead you to believe that you had done something wrong and that's why you were struggling. 100%. I felt I felt that there was something wrong with me. I mean, this was this was almost 6 years ago and the culture within the Latter-day Saint church was, you know, mental illness is kind of taboo. It's it's a little bit of Okay, is he faking it? Okay. Oh, he just he doesn't real? want to do it. He just doesn't yeah. want to go. He he doesn't he doesn't like this. He can't he can't hack it or he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's either a guy's for oops, he he had some or she had some sins unresolved and they're faking this or they're just they're just not into it. They're not yeah, yeah, they're not they're not cut out for it. They just want to come home. They want to, you know, get their car back, get their phone back and just continue to, you know, live the B plus average life. And I had to learn 
the hard way that that's not how it is at all. I have the utmost respect for anyone who goes through anything mental illness related or any, you know, challenge related. It doesn't have to be mental illness. You can apply it to addiction. You can apply it to discouragement. You can apply it to same-sex attraction. Anything that is misunderstood in people's lives or that other people have a hard time coming to grips with because they themselves haven't experienced it for themselves. I have the utmost respect and empathy for those people because they, uh, most of the time, they, they suffer in silence. And what they come home to is people that say, oh, just tough it up. Oh, you know, you don't really feel that way. Oh, well, why didn't you tell me this sooner? We could have gotten you help. Well, it's because I didn't know I needed help. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I think that that was kind of the, the eye-opening experiences that I received in the MTC was just how we really need to talk about this and we really need to advocate for people not, I mean, we can get into this, into this more, but kind of the pioneer analogy of, you know, Brigham Young couldn't tell the pioneers, just go do your best. And if you die, you die. Right. He had to say, no, you're going to make it. You are going to make it. There is, there is no other option. You have to make it because we have to proceed with the church. We have to give room for the next generation. You can't go and die because if you go and die, no, nothing's going to be left. Nothing's going to get done. And so thank goodness for the pioneers because they persevered, because they made it to the Salt Lake Valley, because they started you know, what we now have in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a, a foundation of work and love and care and obedience. But that philosophy doesn't work in the 21st century. We can't just tell people to, you know, gird up their loins and fresh courage take, like in Come Come You Saints, because when you have certain things that you're going through that aren't physical, you can't just push yourself harder and it'll go away. And I think that in the pioneers days, a lot of their challenges were physical related as well as spiritual. But in 2020, a lot of our challenges are emotionally related and spiritual. Yeah where it's a lot of comparison, it's a lot of distraction, it's a lot of misunderstanding. And so I think that coming out of the MTC, I learned that, you know, we got we to gotta take care of this, and that's when I decided to get down and dirty with my story. I want to uh, take a break right here, and uh, we'll pick back up right at that moment when uh, the decision was made to come home and uh, what that was like as you, as you made your way home and, and everything like that. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, it's me, Richie T., and I want to talk to you about uh, Kimura Tours. Won't you join me on a church history tour? I would love to be your travel companion. Technically, it will be my wife, but you could be on the bus with us. This is part of our 2021. Yes, we're already talking about something like that uh, for next summer. It was uh, supposed to be this summer. In fact, it was supposed to be like a couple weeks from now. It's not. It has been postponed into 2021 so that church sites will be open. We'll be able to see the Hill Kimura in its final pageantry year and also be able to see Nauvoo as well. Would love for you to come with us. These seats are filling up fast, so please do not put it off. Uh, make sure you go to KimoraTours.org. Kimora, just like it sounds, or like the hill which we talk about in the church. Tours, just like it sounds, uh, only T-O-U-R-S. It's not tours, like we say here in Utah anyway. Uh, KimoraTours.org. Join us uh, and make sure you look for the cultural hall banner we're going of course with the folks from leading saints Kurt and the kids uh they'll be along with us as well so make sure that you click on that tour that you go on those dates uh that way we can all be on the bus together the website is kimoratours.org imagine running a small business today it's challenging imaging and internet presence is an absolute must even with that you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe now imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients imagine Lennon design whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation advertising media and promotional materials Lennon design is your partner in business they'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you when you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, you know, you can go to Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall and you can show your monetary love for this fine show available in podcast form. 
Now, is it simple? Yes. Is it easy? You bet. Does it do it without you even having to remember that you made that uh, little that little patronage, that little um, that little gift? Yeah, it'll do all of that for you. It's like Netflix for your ears, for crying out loud. Uh, it's a great way to help further the work of the Cultural Hall. Patreon.com slash the Cultural Hall gets you to be a part of the Patreon group on Facebook. It is secret, but not sacred. And it'll also uh, allow you opportunities to get episodes early and be with like-minded people who also love and financially support the Cultural Hall. I encourage you to do it. It's patreon.com slash the Cultural Hall. You can find a link for that in association with this episode at theculturalhall.com. Drew, you made mention of this, and then we sort of uh, moved along into your story. Your great-grandfather was President Ezra Taft Benson. Did you ever have the opportunity to meet him, and do you recollect anything of that experience? You know what? I didn't. He passed away two years before I was born, and so all I have are, you know, stories and pictures, but I I think that, you know, look at me now, great-grandpa, and hopefully you're proud of me. Absolutely. Uh, It it is interesting as we visited with other, I I don't want to use the word dynasties, but maybe that is the way to to do it. We, you know, we visited with uh, Thomas McConkie in a previous episode of the Cultural Hall, and he is both a Worthlin, as in Joseph Worthlin, Mm -hmm. and uh, McConkie, as in Bruce R. McConkie. So, the, the church runs through the veins of that family. And and he, you know, he tells of his experience of, of being without the church for almost two decades and then his sort of reentry. I can only imagine the familial pressure for serving within the church that comes from that genealogical line of, 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 of trending back towards President Benson. And then also this misunderstanding of what mental illness is. Oftentimes it's been compared that if we can have if we could have a cast on our brain that there would be more empathy. If we could, you know, when we look at someone who has a broken arm, we don't go, "Hey, just push through it. You know, your arm will be fine." But for whatever reason with mental illness, we do that. So, pick it up for me because I would imagine the leaving the MTC and coming home transition was extremely difficult. Oh, it was probably the most embarrassing moment I've ever had in my life. You know, my my parents and my two older brothers came to the lobby of the MTC. The front desk called me, and they said, you know, your parents are here. And it was kind of the lonely walk of shame from my building to the lobby with the, the my companions. And, you know, you you walk up the stairs, and I remember seeing my mom, and I just thought to myself, this is not how you come home. Um, this is so embarrassing. And... You know, I gave my, my parents a hug and put my bags in the car, say goodbye to my companions as they were, you know, it was literally the day before my zone was shipping out to their respective missions. So it wasn't like I was going home a couple weeks early and they were going to keep learning. It was like, no, like we were leaving the next day. And so I went, you know, towards Salt Lake City and they went to Europe. And so uh, we drove to the, to the church because, you know, the state president had to, had to release me. And it was a difficult, very difficult moment. But the the ensuing days, months, and years proved to be the biggest trial for me because I believe it was the second day back. I was out in the front yard doing some yard work to kind of you know keep my mind busy, kind of stay away from negative thinking. And someone pulled up. My neighbor pulled up across the street into their driveway, and I was I didn't know what to do, so I just kind of stood up and waved. And they gave me this look that I'll never forget. It was a look of confusion and bewilderment and kind of like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And I just went, went inside and I, I honestly just went upstairs to my, my bedroom and I cried because I was just so confused with what my mission was in life. You don't come home early from a Latter-day Saint mission. You do not do that. You know, that is the number one thing you don't do. Yeah. And I did it. And yeah, it turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But in the moment, it was the absolute worst thing that ever happened to me. And in fact, uh, I learned this a few months later, but someone had actually posted on social media teasing me for coming home early when their friend who was a recent convert was still out on their mission. Mm, classy. Um, yeah, very classy. And yeah, you know, it's just, it was the culture back then. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, I think we've made some some steps away from that, but it was the culture of, well, if he or she can't do this, then he or she can't do anything mm. because this this is the first step. And, you know, 
converting yourself to Christ is going out and serving. And so that was leading up to, you know, the really difficult moments, those kind of three moments of, you know, seeing my parents, seeing my neighbor, and the social media incident were probably the the three kind of launching pads for what the next three years would be for me. How was your family's immediate response? They come and pick you up at the MTC. Was it like, well, you know, you, you did your best, or we'll get you well and get you back out there, or what? You know, what what were they like? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, where do I start? I they were disappointed. My mother was crying, and they weren't tears of joy that her son had come home. They were the other tears, and you know bless her heart. You know, I love her to death, but that is not the way someone wants to come home. Yeah. And I don't blame them. You know, they, they didn't know any better. If my son or daughter ever comes home early, I know exactly what not to do. Um, <laughs> but I la- I, la- I laugh only because like, I mean, you, you hear it and, and maybe they, and maybe not, maybe that's a, a maybe that's where this conversation goes is, you know, have they since learned? You have clearly learned uh, a different way of being able to look at this. You talk about how the conversation within the walls of the church or within the culture of the church are starting to change. Hopefully that change is greater than we think. I don't know that it's, you know, as great as I would want it to be, but they really gave you the perfect example to not do (laughs) should you ever, should you ever do. And how have you been able to deal with those feelings? Because that is like, if you want to look up the definition of, like, pain and or trauma, it's disappointing to the people that you love the most and yeah. having no question that that's what you did. Although, I mean, putting that weight on it, putting that blame, it's a mental illness, and so there's everything like that. But the perception that you are hurting the ones you love the most, like, what does that relationship look like today then? Well, thank, uh, thank goodness that it's, it's, you know, astronomically better. And I think it's astronomically better for two reasons. A, because I got better and I figured my life out and I, I made it to the point where I didn't need to make my parents happy to be fulfilled in my life. And B, they also learned. I think, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Usually when he puts us through something that's really traumatic or difficult, yeah, it's for us, but it's usually for people that surround us hmm. um, because they need to learn a lesson too, whether it's, you know, learning how to listen better or learning how to empathize more or, you know, learning that you can't put your agenda on someone else's life and expect them to do everything perfectly. You can't put your timeline on someone else's life and expect them to follow through with it perfectly because it's their life, their mission, both within the church and just earthly. What was it that changed you being back home for you into being able to be comfortable with, you know, the the fact that you had served as long as you could, um, that you, you know, that you were willing. We we talk a lot about, you know, it is anticipated that you'll serve for 24 months, but you were able to, to serve that almost maybe nine weeks. But then also, what was it that changed for your mom and for your dad to be able to see it through different eyes? Yeah, well, I mean, those 63 days in the MTC were a party. I, I love them. Um. <laughs> you know there are parties when you count them. That's That's what that is. When you make uh, little engravings in your closet, you know, one by one. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways, yeah, so actually, like you said, it's anticipated. There's a chapter in my book devoted to what I call the anatomy of a mission call. It kind of goes through, hereby called to serve, it is anticipated, and one more that I can't remember. But there's three <laughs> kind of peers to the anatomy of a mission call. And I think people, when they, when they read it, will resonate with it. Um, but like you said, it took... I'm going to be honest, it took three years. For your folks? Um, Yeah, for my folks, for my family, for my family in general. I mean, I was the pariah. I mean, there's there's a difference between completely rebelling against the church, and everybody knows it. Right. And you're trying to live the gospel, but you can't, and everybody knows it. And I was the second thing. Mm. I was trying to live it. There was no immediate ulcer or blunt force trauma to my head visible. And so there was just a lot of confusion. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of, you know, coming into my bedroom at night. When are you going back out? Oh my gosh. Like, how, how can we get you back out? Mm. You never say that to someone who came home early. Never. Yeah. You never say that. You, you, you never say, when are you going back out? You never say, you know, let's get you better faster so that you can go do what you need to do. You never say, 
okay, we're taking you to a doctor tomorrow. We're going to figure this out. We're going to get you back out. You never say any of those things because what it tells that person is that you have an expectation for them that wasn't fulfilled mm-hmm. and it's and you're not going to be proud of them unless they do that thing. Yeah, you will never be enough unless dot dot dot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. And so that was that was 3 years of my life. That that sounds um, that's I mean, I I uh I I love that uh, at least on the surface that it sounds like the relationship with your family has um sort of resolved itself but this this is is cringy for me like and and it's not specifically against your family cuz i know that there are lots of families missionaries who come home that's why they end up leaving the church or being sort of uh, uh ostracized from their family because of these very things but like i hear this and i'm just like oh my gosh yeah they they laid a pathway of how not like step by step here, and then when you don't want to do something else that's helpful, here is the next thing. I'm without words. Well, I mean, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned you know people leaving the church, and there were moments, multiple times, when I was like, I'm out of here. Seriously, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't judge people, and you know, of course, I'm a hypocrite because I judge people. Um, <laughs> but you know, at the moment, I was like, this is not how this is supposed to go. And like you, like you mentioned, I, I have a personal belief, you know, this isn't doctrine. I have a personal belief that those who leave the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do so not because of covenants or commandments. They do so because of man-made expectations that they accept as doctrine that they can't live up to. It's not because God said, thou shalt not steal. It's because their grandpa, their aunt, their uncle, their best friend said, you need to do this or you are not enough. You need to do this or your membership in the church is tainted. And they accepted that and they believed it. And so I kind of set out to write this book because I wanted to destigmatize those things. I wanted people to know that, look at this guy who, quote unquote, didn't do it right, but who figured it out that it was right. The whole time it was right. There was nothing wrong about it. It was the way that it was perceived. And people are going to go through things in their life that all the time, you know, people will judge them and say, well, that's not how I did it. So you probably shouldn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. When really it's your mission. It's not your dad's mission. It's not your brother's mission, your sister's mission. They have their own mission. It's your mission. So thank goodness that, you know, my family kind of figured it out. It took some people longer than others. Um, and to this day, I'm grateful for the struggle because we're all better because of it. My dad, who has never had any type of kind of awareness of what mental illness is, came full circle. My mom, who struggled with a lot of mental illness, who, you know, her, her grandfather was President Benson. So she had the mental illness side, but she also had the exact obedience side. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of hard for her to kind of balance the two. But, you know, she gets it now. And I think it's because they saw me try to go out and do something with my life. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone that comes home early or everyone that doesn't do exactly what they think they should do, whether it's a mission or not, I'm not saying that they need to go out and, you know, write a book or they need to go out and do something crazy with their life to prove to people that they can do hard things. They just need to be true to themselves. They need to take time to ponder, to search, to read, to pray, to develop that relationship with Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's all about Christ. We love, you know, we love church because of the friends we have there, but we really need to go because of Christ. We, you know, we we pay our tithing because we want to help those less fortunate, but we really do because we love Christ. And when I finally realized that my mission wasn't for my dad or for my friends, or even for me, when I realized my mission was for Christ, he told me, you fulfilled it. You're good. Let's, let's move on here. And so for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't feel like they're good enough or that they're worthy or that everyone's judging them, take the time to focus on Christ because not only will he tell you the truth, he'll let you know the things that you're doing right, the things that maybe need a little bit of tweaking. And then as you do those things... You know, over time, you'll fall down, you'll slip up, you'll get back up. As you keep going, you're going to discover that mission, and it's going to be so much better than what you had 
planned or what your family had planned, it's going to be so much better. Let's take a break right there. Uh, When we come back in the third block, I want to talk about your book, uh, the title and intentional meaning behind it. I find it fascinating. We'll do that coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, visiting with Drew B. Young. I don't know what the B stands for. We'll get there. Hang on. Uh, I need to let you know that if you ever want to get in touch with the Cultural Hall, you can send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. You can also find us on any social media at the Cultural Hall. We're on all of them. All of them. Literally all of them. It takes up all of my entire life at the Cultural Hall. Won't you please find us there? And uh, jokes, actually, because other people run the Cultural Hall social media. Uh, Also, if you have not yet left a review for the Cultural Hall, please do so wherever you get this episode. Say, hey, this was great. I love Drew B. Young. I'm really grateful that they found out what the B stands for. So let's pick it up right there. What does that B stand for? Benson, like Ezra Taft. Oh, see, it's ingrained in the name. Oh, it, it lives with me. Yes. Goes, everywhere I go, it goes. And and people, I mean, you also have Young, right? Is the, There's got to be familial lines <laughs> back to Brigham Young. Yeah, I mean, one of his wives um, led to me being here today, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, good. I'm glad that that's a conversation for a different time. So uh, <laughs> the name of your book is The Meaning of Your Mission. And what I love about it is that uh, your is a, a different color on the cover, certainly, but it is in in me interpreted to be the meaning of your particular. You sort of cued it up right before we took a break, saying that you need to find what your mission is about, what your, and you sort of flex in now to this, what your life is about. Oftentimes, just like within the church, we have the expectation that you'll this and then this and then these things. That can apply to life in general, right? We each have yeah. our own path, your own path. So t- tell me a little bit about what we might be able to learn from uh, the book that you have written, and then also how that applies to the the greater masses, maybe those whom have already served a mission or who are just struggling with life in general. Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, I, I wrote this book through my experience as an early return missionary, but the application is universal for anybody in the Latter-day Saint culture, or even anybody, you know, of a, of a, of a different religion. You can pick up principles and lessons that I teach and that I write about to help you in your life, regardless of what you're going through. And like you said, the meaning of your mission, it's, it's double-jointed, where, you know, obviously if, if you're a missionary and you're reading it, then you apply it to your full-time mission. But if you're just kind of a, a normal civilian living, you know, day-to-day life, then you apply it to your life's mission. And the tagline is lessons and principles to know you are enough. Because in a day of, you know, constant comparisons and, you know, fake body enhancements and people telling you that you need to be this or that or you're not going to measure up. We all need to know that we are enough who we are right now in time. And that doesn't give us an excuse to goof around. That doesn't give us an excuse to, you know, just stop growing. But it lets us know that you don't have to be anything more than what you are now. You can just get started on your own personal journey of growth. And step by step, day by day, week by week, month by month, you're going to make it. I don't know when that timeline is. It's <laughs> different for everybody. But that's kind of the adventure with life is that, you know, there's kind of taking it a little bit different direction. There's, there's two phrases in the Bible that I love, and it's behold and beware. <laughs> and kind of when we see behold, it's, you know, something grand and spectacular. And when we see beware, you know, it's kind of the storyteller's way of saying, you know, watch out, there's, you know, there's danger around the corner. 
And so when it comes to our mission, there's going to be moments of behold, and there's going to be moments of beware. And we just have to be ready for those two moments because as long as we just keep moving forward, we're going to make it and we're going to discover our mission in life. And you're just discovering yours. I noticed that uh, you are, in fact, married now. You have a, a daughter. Is that correct? That is correct. She's four months old. So <laughs> you're just barely walking that path of, of parenting, <laughs> of, of parenthood. What what uh, what was the experience like as you both literally engaged, but also kind of uh, engaged with your now wife, uh, telling her about the experience that you had as far as going on a mission and coming home and, and, and navigating the waters of mental illness. What, what was that like with her and how, how was she in all of that? Yeah, what a great question. Um, you know, I'm going to be straightforward and honest, just like I've been this whole podcast. Uh, I, I went to, to Brigham Young University in Provo and I, you know, obviously after I'd been home for a year, I felt like, you know, okay, I'm ready to kind of see if I can start dating again because I, I had decided by then I wasn't going back out to my mission. And I was in a place where I just thought, you know, I feel good enough about myself to kind of see where this goes. And I went on probably half a dozen dates. And I am not kidding you. Whenever I would, I would bring it up like within like the first like 15 minutes, I just wanted to get up, get it out there on the table that I'd come home early for my mission, because I knew at that point, if their reaction was, you know, I knew at that point, whatever their reaction was, if it was going to, progress further. And I swear to you, out of those, you know, half dozen dates that I went on, every single girl that I told that I came home early was just like their their countenance just dropped. And I didn't know if they thought that, oh my gosh, this guy's a sinner. I didn't know if they thought, what the heck did he do? But I'm too uncomfortable to ask him what he did. Mm. So I'm just going to eat my soup in a really <laughs> awkward way. But, you know, it was it was those kind of interactions where I thought to myself, again, you know, I've said this before, this needs to change. This culture needs to change. We cannot put a stigma around these experiences that are so personal and so sacred and, you know, for the whole world to see. And so I was just like, you know what, who cares? Um, yeah, over it. Yeah, I'll show them. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, I met my wife. She was a hairstylist at a salon in Provo, and I went to get my hair cut one day, and uh, nobody else was there. It was like during Christmas break, I think, and I was actually getting ready to go on another date that failed miserably, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we uh, kind of had a nice conversation. She had just returned home from service in her full-time mission a few months earlier. And, you know, we've had a great conversation. And I thought to myself, you know, if this date goes wrong that I'm about to go on, I'll come back next week and ask her out. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, yes, the date went wrong. And I came back the next week and we um, exchanged numbers. And I called her a couple of days later and asked her if she wanted to get some dinner. We went and got some dinner. And for the first time on a date, she, when I told her about my mission experience, she just said, oh, that's cool. Like, what What did you learn from that? Hmm. And it was so refreshing. It was like somebody had just like given me like a nice cold glass of lemonade in like a hot summer day. Mm -hmm. And I was and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this feels so nice. Finally, like somebody gets it. And I, I hadn't had that experience. And I'm sure there were girls out there that would have had, you know, given me that same reaction. I sure. didn't find any of them. Sure. And so, yeah, she she. um just said, that's cool. You know, let's, let's, let's talk about it. And she told me about her mission experience and how some things in her family made it difficult for her to come home. And so we kind of had similar paths, not timing wise, but kind of family wise in terms of expectations and whatnot. And so we talked about that. And, you know, a year later we got engaged and we've been married for a little over two years now and have this little girl and she's the light of our life. Wait a minute. A year later? That doesn't happen in Provo. That's a conversation for a different time. Uh, <laughs> I do want to ask you about this. Do you feel like uh, the missionaries that came home uh, due to COVID-19, the coronavirus, are going to help usher in the change of this discussion? hundred percent. I like, I mean, there, there are no, there are no coincidence, uh, coincidences. I, I tried to publish this book like six times over the past three years, and it all got rejected until this year. And I know it's because that the missionaries were coming home, and they needed an outlet or somebody that understood it. 
And so I, I 100% believe, and obviously I think it's a little bit different. I mean, they're not coming home, you know, just one missionary coming home and everyone sees it. It's like thousands. Sure. So they kind of have like a, a band together a little bit. Yeah. But I'm, it's still the same questions that they're all asking themselves, you know, should I apply again to go out? Do I want to get reassigned? Do I go to school for a year? Do I not go back out on my mission at all? Do I, you know, what do I do? And so I think those questions are always going to be the same, um, regardless of, you know, why someone came home or whatnot. And so I think, yeah, absolutely. They're ushering in a cultural revolution that hopefully will kind of wake people up to the idea of sometimes life happens and circumstances change and we're just going to move and flow with it. It's interesting to me, too, because you you have seen uh, even church leaders start to address this more head-on uh, because of these missionaries coming home, because they're asking themselves, you know, the question, if I don't go back out, is the Lord happy with me? Is he content with the amount of service that I gave? What does that mean? What does it not mean? All of these things. Uh, the name of, of your book is The Meaning of Your Mission. Uh, the author we've been visiting with is Drew B. Young. Tell me, it comes out July the... 14th. And people can go to drewbyoung.com to pre-order it, and uh, you can enter the promo code MISSION, save yourself 20%. Do that. You can give 10% to the Lord and then keep 10% for yourself, and nobody will be the wiser uh, as far as that goes. Drew, we ask everyone who steps into the Cultural Hall three questions, as you know, because you are a listener, so I'll ask those of you. The first one is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I do have a calling right now, and it is a ward missionary virtually. Are you finding yourself uh, the opportunity to to function in that calling? I do. I mean, I enjoy sending nice texts and and doing nice phone calls, so I think it's my my sweet spot. Nice, nice. Maybe it can continue to be the sweet spot after we get out of the the whole uh, pandemic and everything like that. Second thing, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean... Technically, this is a calling, so I'd love to be mission president to kind of use my experience and my story to help the missionaries. Of what mission? Uh, I mean, I might be biased, but I would, I'd like to go to the Baltic Mission. Have, have you been there? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we don't have a lot of time. I'll, I'll briefly, within, you know, 30 seconds, share Yeah, that. please. So about three and a half years ago, my sister-in-law reached out to me. She said, Drew, there is a brand new internship program BOU's put on in the Baltic States. I said, sign me up, you know, where do I go? How do I do this? I called the dean. He accepted me. I ended up spending three months in Estonia working in the hospitals there. Cool. As the first American citizen since the country gained independence in the 90s to participate in autopsies and cataract surgeries, just watching. Um, and that was my mission. I did it. Like, the Lord knows what we need. He has a plan for us. I love it. That's pretty awesome. The last question we ask everyone, interpret it however you will. What is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is the assurance that no matter how crappy life gets, I can always turn to Christ. He's always going to be there. He's not going to judge me wrongfully. He's not going to misunderstand me. That's the favorite part of the faith. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.